All right. Thank you. Glad you introduced yourself to somebody. Uh, we're going to have a picnic for those who want to jump in today. It's going to be at the Commons Park in the quadrant closest to us, so you can continue some of those conversations. All right, Phil and Leslie. Phil, why don't you come over here on my left? You know, when I started ministry about 30 years ago, I used to be this tall. Uh, but but life has a way of kind of chopping you down to size. And so I'm really glad these tall people are here today because they have really, this was something that was announced last week, uh, a new offering related to training, which is actually what Dan's preaching about today, a new offering about training in the midst of our churches. So wanted them to walk you through this. There's more on our website that they'll tell you about, but very excited about this new opportunity. Thanks, Charlie. Um, yeah. Hey, it's good to be here. Um, yeah, Phil, and this is my wife, Leslie, and we're, this next year we're leading the training school. And uh, again, it's a cool combination between the river and CFCF. We combined to have one training school. Uh, so I, I, anytime that the churches, I feel like, have some interaction, I think it's a great thing. I, I went to the harbor, which is in Beverly, for five years. Now we're going to CFCF, and now we come here to hang out with the river sometimes. So I just love it when it's the, all three get hit. Um, but it's cool to have the, the, the two together. We are leading the training school this next year, so there's two different things. I'm going to let Leslie announce foundations, uh, but training school, hey, we're still building this thing, and uh, we're looking forward to this next year. Kind of our vision for it is, um, you know, Leslie was in Indonesia, I was in Morocco, and when we go, you know, to join a long-term team, uh, we kind of go to a city, we're in community with a common vision of reaching out to the city that we're living in. That's, that was kind of the, the long-term team's focus. And that's really what we're going to take into this next year with the training school. We're saying, hey, here we are. We're saying we're setting apart a year to a close community, deep discipleship, uh, getting to know one another really well with a common vision to reach out to our city. So here in Waltham and Brighton, Boston, we want to see these places change. So that's kind of our heart about the training school. So we're like, come, join, join, jump in with us. Join this community. We're, we're getting excited about this next year. Uh, applications, we're mid-June, uh, let's see, what did I say? August 15th, our applications are due. So check that out. I'm going to let Leslie announce the, the new foundations. Yeah, so as we've talked to people and kind of connected with different people here and at CFCF, um, there's been a lot of people who would love to do the training school. Um, but just depending on their season of life, either they're young professionals who are trying to pay off debt and working 60, 70 hours a week to mothers or parents um, with young kids, and it's just not the right season. And so they're not able to do the training school. So we've decided um, to make foundations, which is a once-a-week class um, to really learn and grow in your walk with the Lord. Um, and that meets, again, once a week for two and a half hours um, to worship and learn more, um, reading the Bible and um, just hearing teaching. So um, there's more information. There's a bulletin on your seat um, when you came in, and that just shows the some facts about both schools. Um, so did you want to? And Charlie will be around afterwards. We actually are jetting over to CFCF to do the same announcement, so we won't be able to answer any questions or anything, but Charlie is kind of the point person on that, so Go talk to him. And, again, the heart is not to say, hey, we want to take people from the training school to put in the foundations. It's really just to say, hey, we, we're, we're running hard with the training school. We want to make sure we offer something for everybody in the church to be able to come to uh, and, and make it accessible, all these great teachings that we're learning in the training school. So 
Thank you, guys. Nice to see everybody here, and thanks, Charlie. Thank you, Phil and Leslie. And also on the website, there's a really detailed description of foundations. So if you're curious, go to the website, and you'll see it at the uh, area of the training school. Just look at the top, and you'll see some real detail. Dan, are you going to preach today? Okay, okay. Awesome. Let's hear it for Dan. Well, good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? We enjoying? Okay. We, somebody, some of us need coffee, I think, perhaps. <laughs> well, it's good to be here again. Um, my name, is it, is this, we've got this on here? Let's have a look. It's on at my end. So, can you all hear me okay? Not really? What? Uh, let me check. Oh, there we go. Oh, how's that? There we go. All right. All right, so now you're probably awake. Okay, it was like a little bit of a slow, slow response there, but now I think uh, we're all there. So, um, my name's Dan Snape. I'm the worship leader here at the River, and um, it's my pleasure once in a while to be able to preach. Uh, Sean is out of town for a couple of weeks, uh, catching up with some family and some vacation time in Texas. So he's going to be back here on the, the 10th of August. He'll be back. So we've got a couple of, couple of weeks where we have some, uh, some guest speakers. Um, I don't, I've had a few comments. I don't have my normal uh, preaching jacket on today. Those of you who've seen me preach before, I, I like to wear a jacket, which makes me look very scholarly and professional. But uh, for the summer months, it's getting dry cleaned. It shall make a return in the fall, though, so um, look out for that. Uh, we've been, the last couple of weeks, we have been in a sermon series entitled Antioch, the Church that Can Change the World. Um, and really, our goal with this series uh, is to examine our church movement, CFI, which stands for Community of Faith, international, uh, in light of the, the early church that we read about in uh, the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostle. Um, in many ways, the book Acts of the Apostles really could be called Acts of the Holy Spirit, because when you read it, um, it's just amazing how apparent the work of the Holy Spirit is in the early, uh, in the early church. And I think we always need to keep that in mind when we are thinking of what it means to be in a vibrant church. It should be a church that is, is moving and working through the power of the Holy Spirit. If I asked you, um, what kind of church do you think the river is? And I realize that some of you, this perhaps might be your first morning here. But nonetheless, you're probably going to have some impressions. And for the rest of you who've been here longer, if I just said to you, you know, what, are, um, what kind of church are we? Uh, what are some words that describe us? Just feel free, call them out. Radical. Teaching Jesus' walk for everyday living. Standing on God's word. Biblical. Spirit-filled. Genuine. All right, so far, those have all been good. I realized when I said that, we might <laughs> have a few negative comments, although I can't imagine we would, because I think we're in a pretty special church. Um, 
you can basically put churches into three categories, very broad categories. Uh, you've got churches that are growing, uh, churches that are steady, um, are not really growing or declining, and then thirdly, churches that are declining. I would say, furthermore, you can really break it down into two kinds of churches, those that are growing and those that are not. Because if, if a church is stable but going nowhere, it tends to stagnate. Now, the good news is that we are all part of a church that is growing. You are in a growing church. When this church was uh, begun in 2010, it is now about three times the size it was when it started out. And that's in four short years. Um, That is amazing growth. And I have no doubt this church is going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to blossom. But we are in a growing church We're actually in the minority as far as that goes. Um, In the U.S., about 85% of churches are actually about, um, you know, in a sense, being a sort of a holy uh, religious social club where people get together and they keep it within the four walls of their church. There's only about 15% of churches that are actually interested in growing, planting, uh, getting outside the four walls. We are one of those churches. It's an exciting church to be in. And I'm glad you're here this morning because um, you are part of a very special community. Um, when I lead worship, I, uh, I recently, what I've been trying to do is sort of uh, emphasize and remind us of um, our mission statement here at the river, which uh, I like to call the, the three R's of the river, which is revived in God, refreshed in community, and released in purpose. Those three R's of the river. Um, I'll let you into a little secret. Um, when I'm leading worship and I am reminding people of that, I have, a, I have this mild paranoia that I'm going to mess that up. And I'm going to say the wrong words and I'm going to mix up the uh, things. You know, So I'm, I'm sort of really worried that I'll be sort of, uh, we are a church that is um, revived in donuts, uh, <laughs> refreshed with coffee and released early. <laughs> Welcome to the river. So now, of course, I've set myself up because now in future weeks when I do that, you're, you're going to be kind of chuckling to yourself because you're going to realize, oh, he's really paranoid right now. But, but it's important to remind us of these, these three sort of key uh, points for our church. And we'll just look at these briefly because today what we're going to be talking about is our theme is uh, an equipping and a teaching church. What does it look like to be that? And how does that look biblically? How does that look within our movement? These three R's are are quite an important part of that whole um, uh, mission. So revived in God, what does does revived in God mean? Well, uh, first of all, it means that God has to be number one in our life and in our relationship. So God comes before your wife, before your kids, before your job, before everything. God is number one. Um, It also, we come to church to be revived in God, okay? In a sense, it's like a little spiritual Red Bull, if you like. Okay, we come to church, it's like, God, 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 you know, God, yes, God, Sunday, God, Monday, job. And we go through the week, and then we come back, and we get a top-up, right? Um, now, of course, we don't want to just use a Sunday service to be like our spiritual highlight of the week, but it's an important part of the week. Um, and really, it's important because it brings us into community, Um, which leads us into our second R, refreshed in community. 
Um, we come here to be in community. Church is about community. And actually, community and relationship is part of what it means to be created in the image of God. Okay? If we look at the image of God, what is, what is God? We have a, a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. So God is a reflection of community. And as image bearers of God, we are also meant to reflect community and relationship with one another. If nothing else existed, there would still be community because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always existed. So from eternity, community has always existed. God did not create us to be hermit the frogs. You know what I'm saying? He did not say, "Mm, okay, I'm just going to go to the desert and pray to God on his own. You know, he did not create us to be hermits. He created us for community. And it's important that we reflect that in our everyday lives with each other. You know, the Trinity is a hard concept for a lot of us. In fact, for most of us, it's one of the mysteries of our faith. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How can this this still be one God, but three people? And we'll never really get to the bottom of the mystery of the Trinity. We're not meant to completely understand God. But for me personally, one of the reasons the Trinity totally makes sense is that if our God is love and is the greatest definition of what love is, true love can only really be expressed in community, in relationship with somebody. It cannot really just be expressed on your own, just as of yourself. You need somebody else to show that love to you. So to me, it makes perfect sense that God would be a community within himself. So our third R is released in purpose. A good church should be about equipping, teaching, and preparing its people, giving them a purpose, sending them out with a point to life. And it's this third mission statement of our church uh, that is most relevant to today's message. What does it mean to be a church that equips and trains and prepares its people? So we've got a number of uh, passages of Scripture we're going to look at uh, today. Um, Our main passage is going to be um, from the book of Acts, and it's chapter 11, Verses 19 to 26. So if you have your Bible handy, pull your Bible out. That's Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26. Um, And if not, you uh, hopefully can follow along on the screen. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. 
So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Let's give you a little background um, on the city of Antioch. I think it's always important when you are reading a piece of scripture to put it in context. You've got to look at the time period it was written in, the place it was written in, what kind of cultures were in that place. All these kind of things are very important in helping you understand and sort of um, dissect the passage. Um, So Antioch, first of all, geographically, it's located in today uh, southern eastern Turkey. Okay, that's that's where the city was. Um, Back in the first century AD, which is, of course, when Acts was written and when um, these uh, events took place, um, it was a very important large city. Antioch was the the third largest city in the Greco-Roman world. Um, So it was only, uh, only Rome and Alexandria were bigger than Antioch. That's that's going to give you an idea of um, uh, what an important city was. Uh, It probably had an approximate population of around 600,000, which is big for those days. Um, That's about the size of Boston, population of Boston. It's about 10 times the size of the population of Waltham. It's a very cosmopolitan city. You had a lot of different cultures, a lot of different races there. Greeks, Syrians, Phoenicians, Arabs, Jews... Persians, Egyptians, and Indians, a lot of different religions, a lot of different uh, cultures going on. But the Jews probably stood out, as did the Christians uh, living in Antioch, as worshippers of of one God, what we call monotheists, which was very unusual in those days. Um, So they they would have already stood out a little bit by their very nature of worshipping just one God. Antioch uh, being such a large city and being a port city was also a big commercial hub. So there's a lot of commerce going in and out, um, a lot of business, a lot of money, very uh, a wealthy city. So basically what's going on in this passage is the church in Jerusalem hears about the church in Antioch. And it hears that, hey, there's this new church that seems to be doing really well. Um, so we want to send a guy out there probably for a number of reasons, probably to uh, help equip and train them and make sure they're on the right path. So there's probably a couple of reasons why they sent Barnabas Barnabas out. But that's what they do. They send Barnabas out to offer assistance. Um, The description of Barnabas um, is quite unique in the book of Acts because actually, believe it or not, with all the amazing people there are in the book of Acts of the Apostles, Barnabas is the only one who is actually described as good. I mean, obviously, there was many good, spirit-filled men in the book of Acts, but he's the only guy who gets that adjective. He says he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Um, So I can imagine Barnabas feeling he's got a little bit of a one-up there on Peter and Paul. You know, they're up in heaven, and he's probably like, see this? (laughs) Where's your good? (laughs) So, but you know what that shows? It shows Barnabas was a good man. He was a mature man. He was reliable He was good at what he did. He was trustworthy. He was good at delicate jobs of reconciliation, of bringing people together. Um, Daryl L. Bach, who is a a New Testament scholar, uh, wrote, Luke's description of Barnabas supports the portrait of him as a person of maturity, promoting maturity in others 
and unity in the church. Our church and all churches need people like this. We need men and women who are mature. And as a result of their maturity, they promote maturity in you. And through maturity comes unity. Disunity comes from a lack of spiritual maturity. And it comes from gossip. It comes from all kinds of things. It comes with not walking with the Lord properly. All, those, all these kind of things come from a lack of maturity. So we need to raise up mature people in our church. We need to equip you, teach you what it means to walk in the Lord with maturity. Barnabas gets to the church, sees, wow, this is a great, really vibrant church. It's very significant that the passage says it was at Antioch that they were first called Christians. What that actually says is their faith was so vibrant was that they were so about proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, as Lord, that this got out to the surrounding people. And they were like, wow, these people are different. They're really declaring and associating their identity with Jesus. And they became known as Christians. That's how vibrant the church was. So Barnabas sees this and realizes, okay, they need more training. They need more equipping. So what does Barnabas do? He thinks, okay, who do we need? We need to bring in some people. We need to bring in the big guns, right? So who does he bring in? Paul. Not a bad guy to bring in. It would be nice to have a few Pauls in the church, wouldn't it? So he goes to Tarsus, and he brings Paul back to Antioch, and they spend over a year there teaching, training, bringing up, raising up the people. There's a couple of key verses in this passage that I want to um, just uh, highlight. Uh, the first one is verse, tw- uh, verse 21, which says, The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The Lord's hand was with them. Well, what does that mean? That really means the Lord's power was with them. God was with them. He was working. He was moving through them. So of of prime importance is if a church wants to grow and its people want to grow and mature, the Lord's hand has to be with us. It has to be through the power of the Lord. It's not so much what we do where we have our part to play, but first and foremost is the Lord has to be present in this church. It also says, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. That's a very interesting sentence. Believed and turned to the Lord. They believed. In other words, they had faith. Their faith caused them to turn to the Lord. So they had their life of sin, the ways of the world, They come to faith, they turn to the Lord and repent. Because that's what repentance is, right? Repentance is turning away and coming round back to the Lord. Repentance is the key to revival. Revival cannot happen if you do not repent. If you have things closed up in you that you are ashamed of or you're embarrassed about, that you feel like you can't share, those things create a a barrier between you and God. God does not step out of your life. 
He's right there. But it creates some distance until you can lay that before him and say, Lord, I repent of this. Because when we do that, when we repent, what it does is it cleans out the house. It's the, the broom comes, it cleans everything up, and it allows God to take that space and work. And work with you. Okay, he wants, he wants that. <clears throat> uh, Jimmy Seibert, in uh, his, uh, his book that he just released, Jimmy Seibert is the, the senior pastor of our, our sort of our parent church and organization, Antioch Community Church in Texas. And he recently uh, just uh, released a new book called Passion and Purpose. Um, and he says in his book, he says, Revival begins with repentance. Revival opens the way for God to fulfill his promises through his people. So listen to that. Repentance opens the way for God to fulfill his promises through people. Through people. God could do it all on his own if he wanted. He's all powerful. He can do anything he wants. But he wants to do it through people. Through you. Through us. Through everybody in the church, in the community of God. Throughout the Bible, there are um, quite a number of passages which uh, directly or indirectly talk about uh, different ways that uh, people and leaders in the Bible equipped and trained their people or gave them advice on how best to go about this. Um, We've looked at this example in Acts. I'd like to uh, look at one more example from the New Testament, but also one from the Old Testament. Um, so let's turn to, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Exodus chapter 18, and we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 27. So that's uh, Exodus chapter 18, 17 through 27 for the verses. Let me give you a little backdrop to this story so you understand the context. So um, Moses and the uh, Israelites, they've been wandering through the desert. Um, They've been delivered from Egypt, but they're kind of whiny and complaining. You know, it's kind of like a hungry little kid, you know, and they're just, not manna again, you know, Big Mac or something. They're just, you know, they're they're just whiny and complaining, and what Moses finds himself doing, as it says here, from morning till evening every day, is just sitting before the people and hearing their complaints and hearing their grievances and issues, against, uh, problems with each other, and making judgments. Okay, you do this, you do that, you do that. So Jethro, Moses' uh, father-in-law, sees this going on, and you know, kind of says, "Hang on a minute, look, this, you can't, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna kill yourself if you keep this up." So. Um, Beginning at chapter 17, I'm sorry, verse 17, uh, Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, 
and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. They will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times, the difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. So, you see what Jethro's doing there? You see what his advice is? He's saying, Moses, you can't do it all. You can't do all this and not burn yourself out. He says, you need, what you need to do is you've got to appoint and raise up leaders and leader of, leaders of leaders. Okay, so, um, and you can really break down, most churches have some kind of system like this. Okay, you, you, could, have, you could break it down something like this. The, the leader of the thousands is maybe the, the advisory board or the elders. Okay, the leader of hundreds is, a, is, a, is the staff. Okay, the, the, the leader of fifties might be uh, leaders of certain ministries, you know, the worship ministry, the uh, children's ministry, whatever. Leaders of 10 would be like faith group leaders, okay? And the idea is that within that whole system, each tier is raising up new leaders, okay? Um, my hope is, as the worship leader here is, that you will see less and less of me leading worship here. And that's not because I don't want to lead less worship. I love leading worship. But ultimately, one of my... Um, roles is to train and equip new people who can lead us, who can lead us in worship. That's one of the reasons Ben was leading worship today. It's not just because I'm preaching today, but it's also because he's somebody I see as, as having a gift. There are people within our church, within our movement. And so what happens is I equip them. They get comfortable. Then they equip the next set of people. And before you know it, we have a whole team of worship leaders all of who are fully equipped and ready and capable. It could go for any ministry in our church. Okay, it could go for, we're in the process of doing it right now with sound projection, children's ministry. We have needs in all of these areas. And all it really takes is a willingness and a desire to want to be part of, part of the training, to be part of the church. <clears throat> We've just come out of a series of Nehemiah. And... Um, the rebuilding of the walls. What does Nehemiah do? Essentially, he shows up. He sees the walls are in a, a mess. He recruits people. He gets the right people to do the job. He brings people together, trains them, equips them, gets the job done. The wall gets built. Another classic um, uh, piece of scripture um, that addresses this uh, area of equipping and teaching is uh, to be found in the book of Ephesians. So let's jump to the New Testament, and we're going to look at uh, the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be at chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. So that's chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. It was he, that's talking about Jesus, 
who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So again, we see those themes of maturity, again, don't we? And of growing up. We will in all things grow up into him. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Part of what a good church's role to do is to teach you and to equip you so that you are not tossed back and forth by uh, unsound theology, by the ways of the world that might sway you, might cause you to um, have doubts and questions. It's okay to have those. Absolutely, that's part of a, a vibrant, robust faith. But you also need to be equipped how to deal with those doubts, how to uh, see how it measures up against Scripture. That's another part of what we do at church is to equip you how to live your faith and how to deal with the challenges you're going to experience in your faith in everyday life. So we've looked at a few different passages there, about three different passages. We're kind of, we've left one thing out though, haven't we? Jesus. What does Jesus, what's his method? What does he do? Because he had his ways and methods. And I would, you know, I'd say probably Jesus is probably quite a good person to learn from. I think, you know, we can all learn a thing or two, right? (laughs) Um, I've no doubt that Jesus could have done and achieved everything he did achieve completely on his own. He could have done that, right? Because he had the power of God in him. He was walking in the Father's will. So he could have come to earth, had been born and, and raised, and just um, gone around the countryside as a, a, a lonesome preacher and got his message across. But he didn't choose to do that, did he? Did he? He chose to surround himself with people that he could raise up that would be the um, first fathers of the church that we see today. So again, there is a certain system within what Jesus did. He had the three, okay, the three disciples that were closest to him, uh, John, uh, James, and Peter. And then he had the 12 apostles, okay, who lived with him day in, day out for at least three years, seeing what he did, seeing how he treated people, seeing how he healed, seeing how he exorcised people, seeing how he he dealt with tough questions uh, from the Pharisees. They were learning from Jesus day in, day out for over three years. And um, if we turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 1 through 6, we get a great example here of what Jesus does and how he equips his disciples. 
This is Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and following. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. So what does Jesus do? He says, okay, you're going to watch what I do. You're going to be part of what I do. And then I'm going to send you out and you're going to do what I do. Right? He's not one of those, you know, don't do as I do, do as I say. You know, he's, no, do as I do and do as I say as well. Do them both. The next chapter in chapter 10, what we see is uh, Jesus sends out the 72. So after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of them to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to go send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. Do not take a purse or bag of sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. So again, here we see Jesus sent out the 12. Now he's sending out the 72 with the same purpose, the same mission. He's equipping them through getting them to do it. Notice that verse there which says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We need workers. Every church needs them. If you're part of a church, that means you want to be part of, if you like, the cogs within the machine. You want to be part of making this church your own church. That means not just necessarily coming here on Sundays. You're very welcome, of course. But get involved. Get involved in some ministries. They'll bring new life to you, I guarantee. Finally, so we have the three, the 12, the 72, and we also have the 120. Um, in the first chapter of Acts, Acts 15, um, one, uh, chapter 1, verse 15, it talks about how people addressed the early believers of the church, and it said they numbered about 120. So this was before um, um, the church had really taken off. Um, but, and this was essentially what you had where after Jesus had died and risen and ascended back into heaven, the early church was about 120 people strong. Guess what? That is about the size of our church, a little bit smaller. Our church is a little bigger than that. Look what God did with 120 people. There are now billions of believers in this world. Billions of people who profess to be Christians. And it started with 120 people. If God can do that, he can do it now. You see, God doesn't change. It's not like, oh, well, God used to do those things because they were written in the Bible. And so he used to do those things, but now he doesn't. No, God doesn't change. God's power does not diminish. God is working today, and he delights to work today. When you can start to believe 
that we have just as much power as that early church did. We have the Holy Spirit in us. When you start to see what God can do with 120 people, it should hopefully make you realize, wow, we can change the world right here within this church. We have the power to do that through Jesus Christ. So what about our church? What about the river? The river is part of a broader movement called CFI, Community of Faith International. And if you were here last week, Sean sort of laid out a little bit of our, uh, our plan for, um, for the future. But we have three churches in this area. We have the river here, we have CFCF in Brighton, and we have the harbor uh, up on the North Shore. <clears throat> We're part of a larger movement of that uh, called AMI, Antioch Ministries International, which is headed up by Jimmy Seibert. He's the book I just mentioned. Um, in, his, in Jimmy's book, um, in chapter 11 of Passion and Purpose, uh, Jimmy talks quite a lot about how Antioch uh, Community Church got off the ground. So initially, when they started, they just had faith groups, or what they called life groups. We call them faith groups, but those are our small groups. Those are our small groups meetings. And that's what they had. That was, their, that was the main part of the church. And then they would, they would literally meet at a different place every Sunday, uh, just depending on where they could get. And so they would just spread the word that week through their faith groups about, okay, guys, we're, this Sunday we're going to be meeting at a, a country and western bar. That's one of the places they met. Uh, next week we're going to be meeting in a, a parking lot. They, would meet, they, they had that kind of passion that was just you know, a little crazy, actually. Um, they had that 100-man operation of, of bringing in the, uh, the trailer with all the equipment to set up worship for the church, to set up the children's ministry, um, to get everything running for that service every Sunday. It reminds me of uh, the, the early days of the River Church because um, we only moved in here in 2012. But for two years prior to that, we were meeting at the, the Embassy Cinema. And every Sunday morning, a group of us would get together. We had a, 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 a beat-up white van. We'd have all the gear in it, right? Down those, right? <laughs> and we would pull up, 8 o'clock, boom, into the theater. We'd sweep up the sticky popcorn on the, um, on the floor, get the vacuum going, set up all the equipment, and be ready to uh, get going with a worship rehearsal by 9 o'clock. People were helping set, setting up snacks and all that kind of stuff. And I remember when we moved into this building, um, I remember thinking, yes, never going to have to do another setup again. Yes, not another breakdown. It's going to be amazing. And it is. We're so blessed to have this building. But, you know, as a part of me misses that getting together every Sunday morning, right? Okay, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to set it up, you know, this kind of sense of purpose, this sense of community through doing all that. Well, this was what was going on with the, uh, the Antioch Church in Waco, Texas. Um, they eventually uh, got enough funds to uh, buy a rundown grocery store. And while the renovations were going on, they were meeting in a parking lot every week. And people would, they asked them to bring their lawn chairs because there's no chairs in the parking lot. And people would just, they would just camp out. And uh, they sat there when it was raining. People sat through the whole service raining. You know, just amazing stuff. You know, word got out to the local media about this, this crazy sort of radical church out there. People were hungry. And they still are. 
there's a kind of arc, though, that what's going on here. They start off with the faith groups. They start a weekly Sunday meeting. They finally acquire a building. And then through all that, they're establishing core values and core beliefs of their movement. If you, if you like, they're establishing the DNA. What makes us us? What is our vision? What are our goals? You see, once you establish that, then you can start infusing that into everybody in the church and saying, hey, this is what we're about, and this is how we're going to go about it, and this is how we're going to equip you. So it's very important that that is established. These are exciting times to be part of our church, really exciting times. There is a lot of stuff going on. Um, just like Barnabas brought in Paul. Well, first of all, the Jerusalem church sent Barnabas, and then Barnabas brought in more people. But we're doing a similar thing here at the river. We have a key staff. There's people that um, the leaders of our church and our movement, that's you know primarily uh, Sean, uh, Jeff, uh, Neil, who are the, the, the senior pastors of those churches, um, they decided, hey, we need to bring in certain people if we're going to grow. That's one of the big reasons why Charlie and Mary Lou were brought into the river. Because Charlie has expertise and a lot of experience in how to help a church grow and how to equip a church to grow. Sean and others of our leaders saw that need and they thought, okay, what do we do here? We need to pull in a Paul. We need to pull in a Barnabas. Mark Buckner is another person we brought into our movement because of his experience with all his missions work, his international work, his experience with the Antioch Church. We're bringing in and solidifying the leaders to establish our vision. It's exciting, exciting times. So what are a few ways that our church tends to equip and teach you? Well, as I mentioned before, number one, faith groups. I really, really encourage you, if you are not involved in a faith group, please get plugged in. If, if you want to build and grow in community and relationship and you walk with the Lord, then get involved in uh, a faith group. There's plenty of them going on throughout the week. That's your first port of call. I remember uh, Jeff Bianchi, the, uh, the uh, senior pastor at CFCF, once said to me, he said, you know, if, you're sca- if your schedule is very busy and you really can't, you don't have time, two days of things to do. So in other words, coming to church on Sunday and another thing during the week. He said, I would do faith group over the Sunday service. This is a deeper connect. You know, it's easy, even in a church this size, to sneak in and sneak out. So faith groups. Then another big way is the training school that we just heard about and this, uh, the, four, uh, the foundations class that we've just been alerted to. I, um, I did the training school back in 2008, and uh, it, it took several years to convince me to do it. <laughs> I was asked one year, I was like, no, I don't think I'm ready for that. That year was very transformative for me. It was huge. It was not easy, but it was an amazing year, and my faith really came alive. Um, and it was because of that that I decided I wanted to go to seminary and, and get deeper theological training, even still. Um, so we do it through our faith groups as well. I um, earlier this year, I had the uh, the very sad and unfortunate experience of losing my first piano student um, 
I don't mean somebody quitting. I mean a, a student dying. And she was a she was an older lady um, who I'd taught for about eight or nine years. And um, the year I was doing training school, I really felt I needed to share my faith with her. And we began talking about all kinds of spiritual issues, and I started pulling out some Bible passages and talking to her. And through that process, um, actually uh, led her to the Lord. She ended up giving her life to Jesus. And um, when was it? February of this year, um, she found out quite um, unexpectedly that she had uh, lung cancer, and it was stage four, and she didn't have long to go. And I remember talking with her, and she said, you have no idea what you did by talking to me and sharing your faith with me. And obviously, that's the work of God. I'm just, he's just using what's available. I was available to talk with her. But it made me realize how important it is for us to share our faith. I mean, we're talking about the eternal destination of people's lives here. I know where she is because of that conversation we had. That conversation happened because I had new boldness and new faith because of going through the training school. So I want to invite the, uh, the worship team back up. And in conclusion, I want to say be excited. Be encouraged. We are in a very exciting church. We're a church that is growing. We're a church that is interested in equipping and teaching you. Remember that quote of Jimmy Seibert's that I, I mentioned a, a little bit back? Revival begins with repentance. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is an offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So as we're closing out here, I want us to spend a few minutes just asking the Lord to bring to the surface anything that we feel we might need to repent of. Okay, and even as I'm, as I'm saying this, if you feel, if certain thoughts are coming to mind, certain things, certain areas you're ashamed of or just don't know if you can let go of them, let them come out. Let the Lord speak to you and encourage you. If you want to come forward for prayer, then please come forward. Um, on this side here, we can have people who want people to pray with them. If there's something you just want to get off your chest and come forward. If you just want to pray and and worship in your own way, then use this side of the room. But repentance is essential. Let the Lord work in you.